Hello and welcome to Running on Joy with Francesca Goodwin, the podcast that celebrates putting one foot in front of the other in whatever form that takes. This is a podcast that explores how we can live in a more connected, creative and compassionate manner for the benefit of our communities, our planet and our own mental and physical health. I'm your host, Francesca Goodwin, and every week I'll be asking a new interviewee what joy means to them. Running on Joy is ad-free, but if you enjoy the show, please do take a moment to leave a review and give feedback wherever you listen to your podcasts. You might also consider supporting the work of Running on Joy guest Dan Lawson through rubbish shoes and rerun clothing to end the cycle of wastage in the sports clothing and footwear industries. Follow at Rubbish Shoes and at Rerun.Clothing on Instagram for further information. Hello everyone, welcome to the podcast. My guest today might sound like your typical competitive cyclist, rising early to lay down the miles, following a strict regime and sweating in the sunshine, which we've now learned is not in Hawaii, but Miami. (laughs) Um, What makes them unique, however, is that clocking up 80 mile daily rides originated from a real necessity not to crank out watts, but fruit. One might call it turning pineapples into podiums if I was going to make a really bad pun, but (laughs) so that I don't go down that route, um, I'll now let them introduce themselves in the manner of their choosing um, to tell you more. Hello and welcome to Running on Joy. Hi, thanks for having me, Rain, Um, and uh, I'm really excited to to be on this podcast and tell you about my life and my uh, journey and, and where we're at today. Hi, Rain. Thank you so much again for for joining me. And because I I imagine that most of the audience probably won't have heard um, of your story. So what I tend to do with guests is to kind of rewind back to early life and think about what kind of home and growing up was like for them in general. So could you do a little deep dive into that for us? Oh, so like growing up um, in Miami, um, <clears throat> my parents are, are amazing. I love my parents. They decided to name me Rain and my sister Sage. So that gives you a little, like, uh, you know, feeling of, of where they're at. My mom was a professional dancer and taught dance her whole life and still teaches movement. And my dad is a, a plant uh, person. So he has a nursery and he sells uh, plants. He's also a musician, um, on the side. And so just really cool upbringing, really cool parents. And, uh, yeah, grew up in Miami, um, and, uh, and lived kind of the, the, uh, subtropical life my whole life. That sounds amazing. I can see now because am I right in thinking that actually your early career was, um, as a jazz musician. So did that inspiration come from your dad in particular, I guess. I think like being around music is, as a kid gave me, uh, you know, uh, an ear for it and gave me an inspiration for it. So my dad, uh, played, uh, plays guitar and sings and, and sort of more of a rock musician. And, um, when I was a kid, I, 
I picked up the recorder in elementary school, as most people do, and um, and and everyone was just uh, annoyed at how how much I was playing this recorder in the car and and you know all over town. I just wouldn't put the thing down. So they they said, "Hey, like maybe we should get this kid uh, an instrument and and give him you know an outlet to to try this thing out." So. Then um, they gave me a, a saxophone. Or they let me choose, and I, I chose saxophone because um, that's the coolest one, you know. And um, and so kind of the rest is history. I, I that was probably like third grade, and I started playing saxophone, and I just wouldn't put the thing down. Did you take the saxophone in the car with you as well and play it? Or <laughs> there have been reports, yes, a couple times for sure. Oh wow! Um, okay, so there were literally serenaded by saxophone journeys to school and stuff. <laughs> once in a while, yes, yeah, and uh, yeah. So I went to I went to school for music. I went, you know, um, played jazz in in you know grade school, uh, middle school, and high school. I went to an art school, um, and then I got accepted to the Rubeck Institute, which is a uh, select uh, fellowship for two years in California. That's uh, post high school, kind of like a college program, but not exactly college. Just doing an art from such a young age and doing it so um, intently, you learn a lot from um, a craft of any kind. And when you dedicate eight hours a day to it for many, many years, you you learn a lot. It becomes a part of you. So, uh, although I don't really encounter jazz in my daily life, I uh, have learned a lot from from learning that language and being in that community and being in that profession that I feel like applies to all facets of life. Well, I imagine the dedication of the rehearsal time and practice really does translate into other things that you've gone on to do, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Not just um, individually, but also as a group, working with other people, communicating. that it's it's life it's definitely life skills that you learn that and and also learning how to learn um improving your learning skills in general you know allows you to basically challenge the deeper skill set for for understanding problems and how to approach them and and uh, understanding yourself and where you have uh, roadblocks and and difficulties in learning right Oh, as a teacher, literally what you're saying is music to the ear, because most of the time is thinking about how to how to allow children to think more about how they learn and take ownership of, of their learning pathway. So um, absolutely connecting with what you say about that. And it sounds like you did that quite intuitively um, in terms of reflecting on your best learning style and things. And I think that is certainly a lesson that we can applied to so many areas of our lives isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah i think so and, and and putting in the time and practicing learning you're you're gonna get things out of that you're gonna learn about yourself through that for sure persevere with your learning i think we should all be lifelong learners um and be curious i think it just makes us more open generally as people and and empathetic if we are open to learning then we're open to listening to things and having our opinions change sometimes I guess too <laughs> absolutely yeah and learning is fun too so enjoying enjoying life and enjoying the process <laughs> absolutely learning is fun kids hope you're listening to this 
<laughs> and Rain, were you active as a child? So I think that's another cool thing was I, in uh, elementary school, I went to like a sort of a unique uh, small school that I, that I went to. My mom uh, started teaching there so that I could afford to go there. And, um, you know, just really a really beautiful place uh, with lots of outdoor activities, playtime, gardening, um, you know, playing in the mud, doing arts and crafts, and then, of course, learning, you know, the, the fundamentals that, that you have to learn. And I know we're on the Running on Joy podcast, but I'm um, stressing the joy aspect, but it really does sound like movement for you has always been very much grounded in, in joy and, and, and play is, is a word that I'm hearing reoccur too from what you're saying. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, you know, as, as children, we all play, like you can't get your kids to stop running around. Um, and, and yeah, I don't think it was necessarily a uniquely something I identified with or latched onto, but I did have, you know, a good amount of support and space as a kid from really understanding parents and, and a really nice environment. And when I started playing saxophone or getting, you know, getting uh, focused on, on music, um, I sort of didn't do much exercise or movement really at all until, um, until I basically, you know, was finishing high school and became an adult. And I, I got a bicycle and um, uh, a family friend gave me my first bicycle and I would ride it to, the school, you know, once or twice a week, uh, whenever I could, I could lock up my saxophone or, or figure out a way to not have to bring it um, to school. And I would ride my bike to school. And that's kind of when I, I started falling in love with cycling. So when did cycling become so central to your life? Because it sounds like it was a sort of like once or twice a week commute at that point. Um, yeah, I don't, that's an interesting question. I haven't really thought about it. Um, like looking back, it seems like everybody everybody loves having a bike, especially as a kid. Um, it just it allows you a, a certain type of freedom. But I really started to appreciate uh, the actual bicycle and the sport of cycling, uh, or the the culture of cycling, when I did my first uh, bike tour and I from Miami to New York City right, grabbing some old steel frames from Craigslist and just going and meeting all these people along the way and staying at different cyclists houses um, that's when I you know I really I think fell in love with with cycling and fell in love with the community and the the instrument itself you know the the, the meditation of being on a bike and moving through time and space and seeing uh, seeing the sights at a slow speed, uh, but fast enough that it's exhilarating. Um, that, that's, I think, when I fell in love with it. I love the fact that you refer to the bike as an instrument as well. Um, so I imagine there's sort of a, a bit of a synergy between playing an instrument and playing in inverted commas a bike. Obviously, that's quite a long way <laughs> in terms of Miami to New York. Um, was endurance always something that you were interested in from the get-go? Um, yeah, I don't know. I think um, I think my body is is more suited for endurance in general. I I didn't, you know, 
I thought of it as an adventure, you know, and, and I went with my friend who's also a musician. And, uh, um, yeah, I think the adventure part of it was, was really exciting. I think that's just shy of 2,000 miles. And uh, I think we averaged 80 or 100 miles a day. And, and um, it was great because our, our bikes that we bought online didn't shift properly. So we were, we were just going. Um, and, and yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful way to, to travel. And, and I think, um, that also is a great base training and, and mostly zone two for, um, you know, for, for building a foundation to, to then, you know, actually do sport and, and train and, and, uh, structure, you know, structure your workouts and become, become a, uh, an athlete. So I think it was a really important um thing for that for for the prof- the 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 competitive side as well um but but at that time i wasn't thinking anything about that i was just enjoying the the um experience and the adventure of it it sounds like also that the connectivity and and linking to different communities and things was also um a draw for you there as well as the actual cycling aspect of it yeah, absolutely. And, and still, you know, today, I mean, that, that's, I feel like why I really do racing and, and I'm not a uh, professional and I, I, you know, started riding bike at 18 or 19. Um, you know, I'm never gonna be, uh, you know, a pro and, and have that ability. Um, it's just not in the cards, but, but I really enjoy. Uh, meeting new people and connecting with with the community and doing something that's kind of fun and hard and that we all kind of share this experience um and and then cycling the cycling community and, and cyclists in general are just always uh an interesting bunch of people and interesting characters and um for, for me that's that's uh you know that it's a communal it's a communal thing for me it's it's how i get out into the world get off the farm and meet new people and and do something you know that's that's enriching in a, in a communal sense and talking of your um how you described it as zone two training am i right in thinking that actually cycling persisted predominantly as a means of transport when you started working on a farm well yeah i think um i uh <laughs> i had uh, done a, a bike tour or two, and when I decided to, to take a break from saxophone, uh, basically it, it became a a sort of not just a, a love for for being on the bike, but a ideology for sustainability and working at a local farm, selling local fruit, and and having the ability to do that without. Um, you know, polluting and, and creating emissions was something that was, you know, uh, an inspira- inspiring act for me. So it, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, something that I was maybe even overly stubbornly passionate about at the time where I, I, you know, refused basically to get a driver's license and, and also didn't have the money for it anyway. So it made sense. But, um, but that was, uh, that was my position at the time. I mean, how, that's incredible that you were doing the manual labor on the farm and then 
a massive commute as well. How did you balance all of that? I, I think that just doing a bike tour taught me how to do it. Um, yeah, during those years, I was eating, you know, thereabouts 10,000 calories a day, just, you know, commuting and working and, and commuting. Um, so, so I learned how to eat, how to eat every hour, um, how to hydrate. And, and I think, yeah, bike touring kind of gave me those, those skills. And you're vegan. Am I right in thinking? Yes. Yes. 12 years now. Okay. So what, what first, um, made you decide to go vegan? I, uh, I, at that time it wasn't super popular, especially in Miami. Um, I just met a musician who, who was vegan and he told me about it. And, and I was like, Oh, I'll give this a try. I'll try this out. And, um, and kind of the rest is history. I made mistakes and didn't eat enough in the beginning. Um, but, but yeah, it was just something I was like, Oh, that sounds interesting. And, and, you know, there's health benefits and yada, yada. It becomes, uh, you know, part of your life and a part of your lifestyle. And was it the veganism that, because you said there was kind of a transition where you decided actually you're going to move away from the saxophone um, and go and work on the farm. And was um, the kind of, the lifestyle that's embodied by the veganism, was that something that then kind of pushed you towards um, the farm work? Yeah, absolutely. I think think the lifestyle part of it is really important. Um, Also that, you know, basically... Since I was in third grade, it was, it was like, when I grow up, I'm going to be a saxophonist. And um, throughout middle school and high school, I spent all of my time, you know, on the saxophone. And uh, a couple summers in high school, I, I like locked myself up in a room and, and would practice eight hours a day um, and just, you know, all summer long. Um, I, I accomplished kind of what I wanted and I got to a level that I able to tour and teach and record albums and uh play at jazz festival i wouldn't say i got burned out but i kind of uh wanted to explore other things in in the world a bit and i also didn't want to move to new york and uh sort of suffer in the you know the 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 rat race there where as a musician or an artist you have to sort of pay your dues and spend you know a few years to up to like 10 years um, you know, trying to network and make a name for yourself and scrape by and take every opportunity and figure out how to pay rent. And, um, it wasn't at that time, I was like, I'm not ready to do that. Um, explore something else and, and I can take, you know, some time off and, and learn about farming, for example. And, um, I just play a saxophone for fun whenever I have time and, and, uh, don't live in New York and stay up till 4 a.m. every night, smoky bars so and as with veganism like the antithesis to that lifestyle that you described as kind of you know shying away from um gravel trails also seem like something of an antidote to to city life and I know that you you've cycled kind of a variety of terrain but would you say that that gravel is maybe what you gravitate towards most yeah, when I started um, racing, I started doing triathlon because I thought this is a great thing for my body and, and to be well-rounded and to be able to swim and run. Um, and I started doing that. And um, 
you know, I, I did a couple Ironmans and, and I got my racing in and I, I learned all these, all these skills. And at the end of the day, I still really just liked biking and the other stuff I did to, to finish the races. But, um, as I got more and more busy with, with the fruit world and, and work that I, you know, I said, look, I don't, I don't want to go to the pool and, and train and try to get faster and, and, um, you know, upkeep these other sports that, that are more time demanding. So, um, so, okay. So to answer your question about gravel cycling, uh, I think that gravel racing is the closest cycling sport to triathlon in terms of its, its, uh, energy systems used and output and, and also the fueling. Um, it's just extremely similar in my mind to, to triathlon and, and it's, it's demands on the body. Um, the dirt, the distances and durations. Um, so, so, uh, that was like a natural kind of shift for as far as racing goes. I, when I tried a few gravel races, I realized that like, oh, this is, this is where my body is best suited for and where my training has, has kind of prepared me for the best. Um, yeah, gravel, uh, is a great way to get away from cars and, and be out in nature. And, um, it's a, generally a safer type of racing because the speeds are lower and, and the crashes are less severe. Um, and then, and then on top of that, the gravel community is really cool and a lot of fun. And it's, uh, a new sport. I can imagine I've spoken to quite a few people on the podcast recently where we've been thinking about identity and finding kind of your your tribe within I think those are the main reasons why uh, I really like gravel cycling right now not feeling the pressure to have to be a particular way and I can imagine being in that sort of fluid space where the community is still growing and finding um what it is and like and and how to interact with it and things that that could be really refreshing in terms of just being how you want to be really yeah yeah i think so and i'm i'm really enjoying it too and how did you because you mentioned there about the competition aspects of it as well how did you first start off with racing and what were those early races like well, um, my second big bike tour I did from uh, Virginia Beach to Denver, Colorado. I uh, met a cyclist out on the road who was starting his journey uh, circumnavigating the world. Uh, his name's Mike Ditz, and he's just a really cool guy. Love this guy. And um, he was starting his three-year-long trip at circumnavigating the world. And we met him uh, crossing the Mississippi River if I remember correctly. And, um, and he was just a lot of fun, uh, awesome guy. And he was telling me about how, you know, Oh, you'd be great at, at triathlon. You should go do an Ironman. It's a lot of fun. Um, and it, and it was, it was, um, yeah, it was really cool to think about that, to, to learn, you know, ask him questions about it. Cause we would be biking all day and then kind of, I was like, Oh, let's, let's get into triathlon. Let's, let's, this would be a great thing for my body and for my, you know, skill set and to know how to be able to run and be able to swim well. And, um, and it's also, you know, a, 
the, the triathlon community is, is a super positive community where um, you're, you're racing against yourself and, and every person is racing against themselves and they all do it together. And then they all can talk about it and, and you know, um, have, they all have their stories and, and they're all learning about themselves in a really like non-competitive way which is really cool. So I, I really enjoyed like that being my introduction to, to racing is like this, like just friendly community of everyone helping each other out and, and really not, not competing against each other, just competing against themselves. So yeah, that was, that was my, my introduction to racing. And then what was the journey like? Because a, a few months ago you, you competed at the gravel world championships in Italy. So um, I'm interested in firstly kind of like what was it like lining up there and then kind of what was the trajectory to, to get you there as well? Yeah, it's really interesting because um, I had no idea about this this uh, UCI World Championship. I went to Unbound to race and to, to have a great time. And uh, Unbound is the 200-mile gravel race in Kansas. And, uh, my idea for Unbound was like, oh, I'm, you know, there's serious pros here. I'm just going to have a great time. And, and it would be really cool to try to stay with the pros as long as I can and, um, and, and see what happens. And maybe I get on, on someone's YouTube channel for, for half a second or something. Um, and so as I started the race, my, you know, the, the beginning of the race is really hectic with a lot of loose rocks flying everywhere. And, Within a few minutes, my power meter broke. So a rock, you know, just freak accident hit my power meter and knocked the battery, the battery, uh, power off, off the, you know, broke the power meter. So, uh, I spent the whole day chasing the pros and catching up to the pros and, uh, essentially just blew out, you know, exploded, um, at around mile 130 and, uh, went from like 40th position to like 240th position and, in the matter of like 30 miles. Um, and, uh, uh, I ended up riding the last, let's say two hours or three hours with, uh, a female cyclist, uh, named Danielle Larson. And she had a similar day where she had some issues and some crashes and was, uh, just, just pedaling it in like a lot of us do at Unbound. And we started chatting and, and, uh, made made friends with her and she said hey you should come do this this uh qualifying race in in my hometown where i live it's uh it's a really cool course and yada yada let me check that out and she invited me and so i came and went to the qualifier race and got third so uh it was just total coincidence of just meeting cool people at this at this event and them inviting me to do cool stuff so um I had no idea and I, I wasn't really paying attention and, and all that stuff, but I, I met someone interesting and, and we hit it off. And then, and then, uh, next thing I know, I'm, I'm racing in Arkansas qualifier. And then next thing I know, I'm, I qualified and I'm going to Italy. So that's amazing. Um, what was your experience with the race in Italy? Like, I mean, you had a pretty intense crash early on, didn't you? Yes. Uh, well, First off, I was just jazzed to be there because I'm like, wow, this is the first uh, world championships for gravel. And, um, you know, I'm lucky to be here because it's, you know, the competition is only going to get more and more intense as, you know, 
they bring in big names like Max Vanderpool and Peter Scott and all these people. So, you know, I expect this year the competition to entry is going to be even, even more intense. Um, so I was just, just stoked to be there and I had no, uh, no expectations for myself or anything. So that kind of came in handy when I, I crashed really bad and, and had to just, you know, just get to the finish line. And I, I had a blast the whole time, crash included. Um, but yeah, my, essentially it was a mechanical, my, my rear axle, uh, came undone and my rear wheel fell out and I, you know, crashed at speed and, and thankfully didn't break any bones, just, just had a lot of bruising and road rash. Um, but, um, it was amazing to be, to be there with such strong competition, really beautiful experience. And what I'm hearing there is that it was kind of the, the energy of the event, um, and the gratitude sort of for being there that pushed you to keep going to the finish because I guess it would have been quite easy just to say this is not my day <laughs> I'm gonna sit this one out but you kept going um oh yeah yeah I mean I mean I if I was if I had something really broken you know um it might be a different story but I was just I was just hurt you know and uh I didn't want to let that stop me from completing the course and seeing you know seeing the the country that I was in um beautiful course and and um yeah i i it wasn't it, w- it wasn't much of a thought for me to to keep going it was it was you know as long as i wasn't too badly hurt i, I wanted to finish for sure and um and i ended up i ended up uh with a a uh master's group and was able to to find meaning there and helping one of my other um usa teammates uh, just kind of doing work for them and, and being in that group, um, you know, gave me some, some satisfaction and some purpose too, as I like completed the next four hours of the race. It sounds like a great learning opportunity connecting with what we were saying about learning earlier. Sometimes it's when we don't necessarily succeed in something to what we maybe thought we might, <laughs> where, where the learning and the moving forwards really happens, isn't that? Yeah, and and cycling is is so unpredictable. Um, anything can happen, and and crashing, and mechanicals, and strategy, and teamwork, all of those things. Um, you know, you you have to just enjoy racing to 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 do cycling because. And I, you mentioned there about community and how important that is to you. And I noticed um, on some of your post-race reports and write-ups um, from Instagram that you're always really quick to thank others in them, which is really lovely to see. And I'm curious what role models you've had in the sport on your journey. Hmm, in the sport? Um yeah i uh that's an interesting question i haven't really thought about that and i i think like you're always learning from the people around you and um there's there's just so many there's so many strong cyclists in miami and strong athletes in miami that i think i'm just continuously learning from everyone i ride with um yeah of, of all levels and and you know all disciplines um 
there's always something to learn from somebody. So I, I don't know. I mean, my coach that I've, I've been training with for, I think two years now has definitely made my life much better and, and my, uh, you know, my training much, much more effective. Um, you know, he's, he's amazing, but I think just in general, there's not, there's not many standout individuals, just kind of, uh, constant, uh, rotation of learning from everyone that, that I ride with, you know? I know you've had quite a lot of input on the design of your bike as well, which is pretty distinctive. And I definitely recommend everyone goes and checks it out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Afterwards. So can you tell me about that too? <laughs> um, this artist in Portland, Curtis Bullock, um, he uh, just des- designs and his art style is, is uh, one of a kind and really cool and crazy and comfortable and um so i yeah it just kind of like it just kind of happened just kind of pieces kind of fell into place when i just saw him on instagram and i was getting ready for this this world championship race and i was like man you know this is the first gravel world championships um it would be cool to just do something kind of you know unique and flashy and i found this guy on instagram and i dm'd him i said look i i would love to you know, um, hire you to, to paint this, this frame. I'm going to bring it to the, to the first ever world championship for gravel. Um, and he was so stoked and he was on board and he, he, you know, I, I just told him, just do, just do you do whatever, um, comes to mind and whatever you want to showcase. And, um, and his style is just so cool. Um, I, I didn't know what the bike was going to look like and he sent it to me without a picture and I just, pulled it out of the box and, and built it up and um, super cool. Really, really uh, unique and and inspiring art from him, for sure. And it's really playful as well, which uh, through the course of this conversation, I think, you know, that's something that we keep returning to in terms of your relationship with cycling. And are you pleased that it kind of reflects that in terms of your own personality? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I resonated with his, with his style and with his, his work. And, um, I think like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm having fun, you know, the, the, the process is the journey and, you know, racing is, you want to do your best. And, and I feel, I feel good when I do my best, but my best doesn't mean getting a good result. And, um, yeah. And, and I think that that playfulness and that kind of, um, uh, that style, you know, represents like, Hey, we're here, we're here for a good time. We're here to enjoy this moment. Um, and, and I think it really does kind of embody that and, and kind of, uh, yeah, I don't take myself too seriously. It's, it's a, it's a non-serious paint job. And I, I think that it's also in, in the spirit of, of this sport and at its core. So I think, I think a lot of people see that and they resonate with that in a time where like gravel cycling is, is sort of solidifying its identity in some ways and, and it's going through its own process. So I think that, I think people kind of saw this, this bike and saw the art and resonated with that. Um, in that like, Hey, don't forget, like this is gravel and we have mustaches and we drink beer and you know, we're, we we're goofy and we're not normal. So, um, that, that was just such a cool, thing to be able to 
showcase and share with people and like a talking point and a, you know, a media conversation for a lot of people. And it, it's just like, I'm just so grateful for that, that experience to have like kind of unfolded and landed in, in my lap and, um, and, and be able to bring that to, to the world championships there in Italy. And I think that humility is, it's just reflected in, in how you speak about your achievements and things. And I do love the idea of embodying goofiness as well. <laughs> but I know yeah. that you also, um, had a really exciting experience at Gravel Miami last week where you mm-hmm. picked second. Um, so can you, can you just reflect on that experience? So I really love the the gravel out here in, in South Florida and in Miami. And we had a good handful of pros and current pros and former pros. And um, I, uh, you know, I, I'm really happy with my effort and my performance. I, I sort of saw that the, that the, there was a lot of strong guys and a lot of competition and I did my best to, uh, push hard the whole time and, and try to use every opportunity to tire people out and to make the, the race hard and hard for everyone. Um, and so it, it worked really well. And, and at the end of the day, the, the strongest man won. And, and um, the I think I'm blanking on his name right now, but he's a former pro. And he, uh, he rode off and, and got, I think, two minutes on me by the end. And I pulled in second, um, and then my coach pulled in third. And uh, it was, yeah, it was just a, a really cool day where in cycling, you don't always have the, the strongest man win. And in this race, I felt like the, the three strongest men got the three you know, top three spots. And so it was really cool to, you know, to have that experience. That's always a good feeling, um, you know, it, for me anyways. And, and I think in gravel, that's, that tends to be more so the case, um, where, you know, it, the, the length of the race, the, the conditions and the, you know, the terrain itself kind of makes, makes it so that, um, you do have to be really strong to, to place well, and you do have to hold your own for a lot of the race and the drafting is, is minimal and, um, strategy is, is, uh, something that, it's sort of new and there's not many teams in gravel yet. So it's, uh, it's just a really cool and, and exciting, uh, sport right now. And, and, um, it, it's definitely interesting to see where it will go as well. It sounds again, like it's not so much about competition with others as, as really kind of testing yourself and how far you can go on, on that course. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think with cycling, we are, we are competing against each other and there's a lot of strategy and, and there's a lot of, uh, risk taking and, you know, choosing where and when to use your energy and when to take risks. Um, but I think the best feeling is when you know you did your best. Um, and, and that, you know, you, you exhausted all of your potential and, and then wherever you're at is where you're at, you know? And, and for me, that's, that's the best feeling for sure. And I just want to, um, to slightly because as well as this journey with cycling, you've also been on a, on a huge journey in terms of building your own business, Miami fruit. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you could just describe kind of what your aims were with that and, and how it's grown. 
it's always been a kind of response to the demand of, of the community and, and the customers. Um, so when I started um, working at this farm back in the day, that was 2013 or 14, so about 10, almost 10 years ago, um, the, the farm that I was working at asked, uh, asked me and, and a few others to sell the produce on the weekends at farmer's markets. Um, when, you know, as we were doing that, local growers in the area asked me to sell their fruit as well and said, Hey, you're going to market already. Why don't you, you buy some of this fruit that we have that's really weird and it's, it's kind of hard to sell because it's hard to sell through a wholesale medium because it's so different and the, the quantities are pretty low. You know, I have two trees of this, five trees of this. Um, so we started selling multiple farmers, uh, produce at the local farmers markets. And it was a, a, a beneficial thing for everybody where the farmers were asking us to do this and, and the customers at the markets were asking us to do this. And when the, the funding for the small farm I was working at ran out and they didn't have a job for me, I just continued to sell the, the products from all the local growers in the area. Um, and, and I was doing that on my bicycle with a, a bike trailer that I would load up with about 500 pounds of fruit and just be able to, you know, sell just, you know, just basically enough, um, you know, for, for a small local market or two. And, um, my, the business Miami fruit became sort of, uh, it, it grew very organically and, and my partner Adele, she created the website and, and sort of took everything to a, a level where more people could find us and more people could, can order the fruit. And, um, and it kind of just grew from there, just day after day, responding to customer demand and doing what, uh, we could do that was within reason to, to get the fruit to people in whatever way they, they asked for it. So. Um, since COVID, we haven't done any local farmers markets because that kind of squashed that, and we've been so busy with with just fulfilling the direct uh, orders to customers. Um, but that's that's sort of where where this came from. It's just responding to customer demand and and responding to the demands and the the desires of the community. So providing a service to farmers that they were asking for and that they that they value. Um, while providing a service to the customers that they are asking for in value as well. And again, an incredible contribution to the sustainability of that sector as well. And I love the way that you describe the, the weird fruit because it kind of dovetails perfectly with um, the goofiness that you find in, in cycling. But on your Instagram, people wouldn't necessarily associate artistry with you know surplus fruit and things and was that a conscious decision in terms of how you kind of curate that content and and just the level of detail as well that you give about the produce yeah so so the all of the social media and website and everything is all done by my partner and Dal and um we've you know we've mostly her but we've together you know learned and worked on creating content and and sharing knowledge about the, these fruits and, and, um, we've learned over time kind of what 
works and what people want to see and what's the most valuable for people and, and also how to navigate these uh, changing online platforms that, you know, demand certain certain things from us in order to, you know, we call it the algorithm gods, you have to please them. So we've learned over the years kind of how to do that. And, and I can't take credit for it because Adele does all of, all of that. I just, you know, I just like the videos, you know, when I see them on my feed. Um, I do more of the, the three-dimensional stuff. So, um, you know, fulfillment, fulfillment of orders and, and purchasing and uh, relations with farmers and, and worker management and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's been, I, th- I think it, again, it, it's something that you, you practice and you learn and you, you don't give up. Um, and there were times where, you know, Adele posts on social media every day for what, eight years now or something, seven years. And uh, there was a year or two where she posted three times a day and just created so much good content. And um, I, yeah, again, I think it's just learning and staying with the process and enjoying the process. Um, yeah, being being really curious and, and, and learning how to be as creative as you can. It sounds like a brilliant partnership. And what hurdles have you both had to overcome in, in growing your business? Um, yeah, I think, I mean... It is endless hurdles. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be more. Um, I think I think it's really important to to love what you do, right? And I wasn't, I didn't set out to to create a business. I just did things that I love and tried to respond to, you know, what people were asking me to do and and utilize my position and my skills that I that I had at the time to 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 do the best I could. Um, and I, and we still do that today. So, um, yeah, I think that doing what you love is the most important. Um, and then whenever you have struggles and challenges and, and obstacles that you have, you know, the, the strength to, to, to push through and to find creative solutions and to change course if needed. Um, because, because at the end of the day, you, you're really passionate and you really, um, care about, about moving forward. Um, so some of the, the things that have been difficult would, you know, for most people be the end and would, would, would just, uh, crush the business or crush the endeavor. Um, but because we, we, we care so much and we love what we're doing, we've, we've kept going and pushed through and, and then, um, you know, it, and then, Good things happen, you know. Um, Give it enough time and enough love and energy, good things happen. And do you think that's something that you've learned and, and honed um, with your training and racing cycling that's then carried over into your approach to yeah. work and life? Yeah, absolutely. I Like we started off saying, like learning how to learn and learning about the process of, of any craft or any skill um, is, I feel like, in, applicable in other ways, to, in some ways, to other um, other skills and other endeavors. So um, as we just spoke about, like in racing, like you're not going to get a good result. And if you're consistent and you, you enjoy the process, then 
good things will will happen when they happen and and um the journey is the reward and a lot of, but then but then you end up getting somewhere and, and going somewhere because you've you've uh stuck to it and you've and you've enjoyed uh learning and growing every step of the way um so what comes next for you um both in terms of work life and cycling with cycling um i'm just right now just enjoying um you know i want to do i want to do a few more races and um continue to be strong and, and get if i can't maintain my fitness and enjoy the community enjoy racing enjoy a little bit of traveling now that i, I have a great uh, support team uh, at work that allows me to, to take a few vacations um, and gain race. Um, we have a, a really great customer base that we've been with and developing for for many many years, and we want to maintain you know our our strength in that, and um, you know continue to to grow steadily in, in whatever way that means. But one thing that we know for sure is that we want to continue to grow in diversity of, of what we're offering and what we're growing and, and giving to people. Um, so our, our farm is a, a testing ground for uh, a ton of new varieties of fruit. And the idea with, with what we're doing at our farm is to trial new species of, of fruit that haven't been grown in, in Florida or in the USA before and to see what the potential is for new fruits that we're growing, um, offer them to customers, get the feedback and, and then be able to, um, give these, these products back to growers to grow at a larger scale for us. So, and then partner with growers to grow these new crops in a, you know, in a, in a agricultural economy that is dying. Um, and offer them something to grow that will keep, you know, keep the farm in business. Um, so that's kind of our, our biggest goals with, with the business is to give back to the growers, um, find, you know, profitable crops that are also valuable to the customer and, and the grower, and then be able to give back to our growers and, and offer them something that we can pay top dollar for that will allow them to keep the, the farm in the family or allow them to keep growing without having to sell the farm. Mm, so a really powerful message there about, well, getting back what you put in as well and and supporting others actually leading to strength in yourself too. Right, right. And that brings me to um, a couple of quick fire questions before we wrap up. Um, what's your favourite fruit? and a little known fact about it. My favorite fruit, uh, that's a diff that's a difficult one because it it does change. Um, I think I could just cop out and say my favorite family of fruits right now is the Anona family. Um, there's hundreds of, of Anonas and uh, they're all really cool and beautiful and delicious. So I would I would say the Anona family is my favorite. Oh, you don't need sweets. They sound amazing. <laughs> um, music or bird song? Um, I, I like music. I, I really do. I, especially when I'm riding. Um, I always listen to music when I ride. So 
I like music too. I, I mean, I love listening to the birds also, but I kind of like doing that if I'm just kind of sitting in nature. And actually, I know that music gets quite demonized with, with people saying about kind of connecting to the world around you and things. But actually, like movement and music are two of my favorite things. So if you combine them together, I mean, it's winner, isn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's really, really, I agree. <laughs> And my final question, Rain, is what does joy mean to you? Well, um, I think I think when when the mind is quiet and you're in the present moment, that's that's what joy is. And it has been such a joy speaking with you. I've learned so much, um, and just your relent- relentless positivity. Um, and, and playfulness with everything that you do is something that I just would really like to bottle up and <laughs> and share with people because I think that you can take so much from it. Um, and I, I wish you all the best with all of your incredible plans. Um, you, you yourself are building such an amazing community with what you're doing um, and spreading really hopeful messages um, as well as being part of something with the community that you found as well so thank you for all that you do wow thank you so much that, that's super kind and i appreciate it and um yeah thank you for for having me and, and uh, creating a, a larger community for me to, to network with and so i'm excited to uh you know uh meet and talk to any of these the people listening and and connect on on socials as well um yeah thank you so much this is this is awesome i'm so grateful to the community that is growing around the podcast and if you've enjoyed today's episode i would so appreciate if you can share it with your communities and help spread the message of support perseverance and joy further if you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests you can find me on instagram at running underscore on underscore joy I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time for Running on Joy.